What's up, everyone? Welcome to an all-new episode of Unbuckled Chinstrap. I'm your host, Paul Rabel, and this is the first time I'm coming to you from my apartment in California without my guests next to me doing this intro, outro read, and we're doing our ad reads remotely during these very difficult times, unprecedented times, as you've heard from us as the league through my accounts on social. We are all at home, have been at home for the past three weeks. We are all practicing social distancing, and we are working remotely. But as they say, the show must go on, and we've worked with our tech team and our producers to work with a program called Zencaster, and we're connecting with our players ongoing, whether it's this show and the inside feed. And my first guest that I have on using Zencaster, a remote platform where we could record this podcast, is none other than Will Manny. Will Manny is considered by many the best off-ball shooter in the world. And some may argue it's Ryan Brown. Others may argue other players. But Will Manny, certainly on the left side, has a claim to make for that title, given the number of goals he scored in our inaugural season and finishing after a huge 11-point game against some team uh, the last game of the season. Will actually jumped to first place for most points scored. Now, that's Will the player. We talk a lot about our experience playing with each other on this show prior to PLL. We talk about his time trying out for USA. He's never made a USA team. That is his goal. We'll hit on that. We also talk about his time now as a coach at the university ranks. He's the assistant coach at Utah with his line mates for Archer's Lacrosse Club, both Adam Gittleman and Marcus Holman. Now, there's much more we discuss on the show, including Will's time at the powerhouse juggernaut high school of Long Island that he played at with a number of other PLL pros, as well as how he was under-recruited, but changed the landscape for UMass Lacrosse. Let's take it away. My man, Will Manny, how we doing? My man, Nines. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm a big fan and just excited to be here. I'm a big fan of yours, and this is while uh, in the middle of somber times here um, now, probably day, it feels like day 16, 17, 18, something like that, high teens of quarantine, at least in L.A. Uh, you're in Utah. How are you feeling? I'm good, man. It's definitely tough, you know, going from as a college coach at Utah, just <laughs> our season being taken away from us and I was a day away from playing my alma mater in UMass and we had to fly back from Boston and, um, to now just being back home and having nothing to do with our guys. And when that's all I've been waiting for since September, you know, and, yeah. um, but making the most out of it, staying positive and, and being creative at the same time. So doing well, Yeah, I want to talk about some of the, uh, workouts that you're doing, but, uh, I'm not aware of this. So you guys were in Boston, you're about to play UMass and then you had to hop on a flight back. What happened? Yeah. So what happened was we were on our spring break and we were on the East coast. We played Mount St. Mary's, um, in Maryland. And then we bust up, we were supposed to play UMass on long Island, um, which was a double positive for me, right? My parents and my family lived there and we were playing my alma mater, um, and then at Farmingdale state. And what they did was they had to cancel due to the virus and yeah. UMass, UMass and coach Canella tried to pull some strings. So they said we could play up there. Um, so we drove up oh, to no way. They're just trying to get it in. Yeah. So we tried to get the game and we drove up to UMass on Wednesday or Thursday. I forgot what day it was. And the night before the game, they had to gas it because it kind of just escalated very quickly. So we drove up, drove up to UMass. And, and then the next morning we got flights out of Boston to just get home as soon as possible to keep everyone safe. And that was prob that was 
that probably elicited a feeling that was that probably felt really very real. Was that before the NCAA made the call and before the NBA made their first call to cancel indefinitely? Yeah, so had to have been just a few days before because it happened so fucking fast, so fast. And at the time, it didn't really hit me to be honest. You know, I I, I knew it was the right thing to do with everything shutting down. We were just like, all right, let's. And again, right for us, it's it's not like we could just get on a bus together and drive back to Maryland like we're like we're Towson or we're Hopkins. You know, we had to fly across the country back back home and get our kids home safe. So um, it was just before that, just canceling games and canceling whatever it was. And then over the weekend, I'm pretty sure we found out everything was kind of just shut down and the school was going remote and, and online. So it kind of all just hit at once over a three day span for us. How, how are you and the coaches? What, what was going through your heads? Were you, were you uh, just focused on the play and the schedule or were, were you beginning to start to consume kind of outside information around, Hey, let's try to be predictive here. What if we're in a place where the NCAA doesn't make a decision and our conference has to make a decision? What was, what was going on there again in that, in that really tight window? Yeah, for us, it was one, just getting home safe. So Tim McDermott, our director of ops just got us home quickly. And then, like I said earlier, for me personally, it was like, what is going on? You know, cause right. I mean, m- myself, Marcus and Adam are, are younger coaches and we're, we're like, damn, we like, we'd go out and play right now, you know, just, just trying to squeak the game in and just want to get out there. And, um, and, and for, for Brian, Brian Holman, our head coach, it's, um, he, he's the man in charge with just getting on phone calls. He was on the phone right after the game got UMass got canceled with our AD. And, um, he said that everything in the PAC 12, even though we're not technically a PAC 12 school because the conference and lacrosse were an independent, um, hmm. we're still a part of them. We had to still shut down and, and they canceled everything. And we kind of let the guys know, listen, we're, we're a step-by-step play-by-play kind of team. And this is, this is the situation. We're just going to try to get home and we'll deal with it after that. So, um, it's just hard to explain because it still feels fake, honestly. Yeah, and we're still in the middle of it, or perhaps even in the beginning of it. Did uh, when did the when did your players go home? I assume they're all off campus now. Yeah, so by the end of last week, all of them were home. Um, we have a, we have several guys that are UMass, UMass Utah based. Um, so those guys are at home and, and are pretty local. And I know they've been in touch with um, our academic advisor, our trainer John, and, and Parker Teagle, our strength coach. But yeah, all of our guys have been home for at least a week now. Yeah. And then you're, uh, you're quarantined solo. You've got your girlfriend down the streets. So you see her a little bit. So you're, you've got a quarantine, you know, companion, but what's your, uh, I see you sitting on a, on a big couch where we're using, uh, this program called Zencaster to record this. You got your stick in your uh, hand. I, now. I, I, I've been playing around a little bit. Just, just sitting you have around the keys to, to Utah university. Is that how you're getting onto like a quarantine field and taking shots? Yeah. So I actually, it's great. So I have Kimber right up the road with her dog cash, which, which keep me sane and make me, make me happy. And, uh, Marcus has pushed back his flights every three days, uh, to stay with Alex back East. And, uh, cause I live with Marcus here in Utah and, and gets is up in park city. Um, so he's only a 25 minute drive, but as this thing has escalated, the school actually sent out an email. We're not even allowed to use our facilities anymore. Um, right. even if an outdoor field. So, <laughs> to so start you got shut week, off of that. Yeah. So last week, that's where Fuck I was. Man. It was great. I, I had my own, I was out there by myself, throwing some tunes and, and I was out there for two or three hours. Um, I was loving it. I wish I could have been out there with you. I was able I to get 
solo onto some Manhattan Beach and, and El Segundo Parks and bring either my rage cage out or take a cage there. And so there was, without a doubt, social distancing, not a person near me. And then I started getting chased off the parks by cops uh, last week. Um, not actually chased, but hey, you got to get the fuck out, Paul. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, on occasion, I'd try to I'd sneak on until uh, uh, this past weekend. And, uh, and that's it. And now parks are closed, beaches are closed. You know, um, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of cabin fever going on. Sweating now, uh, <laughs> you know, doing a workout in, in my apartment, but it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. What, are you, what are you doing now that I didn't know the, the Utah fields pushed you out? So you got your stick in your hand. What are you doing? Yeah. You're just so, being patient. Yeah. It's the, the past day and a half have been, I've been off the field really. I, I actually, there's a park right near our, um, in between my, my house and, and school, it's called Sunnyside Park. They have two nets that are locked up that we have the combo to, and I haven't been told to get off that field. So I, I get out there once in a while, it's grass and it is what it is. But, um, yeah. I mean, there's a Highland high school right up the road, big, like just whole brick building. So I've been getting a lot of touches in on the wall and, um, watching a bunch of film, you know, shout out NBC gold for, for replaying all the games and we have score yeah. break as the players. So, um, you know, just trying to make the most of it. And, and if I get kicked off the field, it's, I'm just, hopefully I'm the last one on it and, you know, and, and just try to get ready to, um, for whatever's next, you know, for me, it's, yeah. it's just, as long as I have my stick in my hand and I'm just playing wall ball and I could throw on some music and, and have some fun for 20, 30 minutes. That's honestly all I need. Where did, uh, where did touches come from? I remember, I can't, I can't remember if it was developed when we were first playing together in Boston. I think it was. If, if that's, was it, or was it something? Yeah. I it feel was like, like me, a, you, I feel and like Burger, a, and like. I think it's Burger and Bucky, I, I feel like. Or, Burger and Bucky, yeah, it's being like, let's get some touches in. Let's go get and some touches. And then you just, you own that, but it's yours now. Yeah. It's I, no one else's but yours. Just nothing, nothing <laughs> like it. I mean, just the whole. So it's basically just, like you get, getting reps. That's, yes. that's what you call it. Right? Yeah. It's your slang for reps. Yeah, getting touches with my stick and, and just making it a part of my daily routine. How many, uh, how many touches do you try to get a day? See, that's the thing that I've been actually seeing a lot of people on, and social media, like commenting on whether it's a caption or, or a comment it's get this many hours or this many touches or this many, whatever. I, I just go out until I feel comfortable. You know, it's like before a game, if I go out before a game and I shoot three balls and they go exactly where I want them to, and I feel good, I walk back into the locker room, you know, and it's the same oh, thing on yeah. the wall. If, if I go out there for, I mean, it's no less than five minutes. You know, if I go out there and I feel good, like I just know I got my stick in my hand and, and I got it in and, and I'll call it a day. Was there ever a time where you were repping out, like counting your reps? Cause you know, when we played together, I was a psycho about that. Still <laughs> yeah. am like, yeah, yeah. You, you, you never said anything to me, but I remember having catches with you in the parking lot, um, you know, before a practice or a game, we were outside of the hotel and I would just be one, like probably 25 times with one hand, then switching. You're probably like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Chill I was out, Paul. <laughs> at that point. I think that was our third year playing together. And I knew you, I knew you well. And it was just like, I was like, how, how long and how fast, how much faster is he going to throw this ball back to me? And I remember the ball actually, it went down the street. I forgot where we were, but we were in the back parking lot and the ball went down the street. And I was like, yeah, I'll go get it. Don't worry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> did you but, ever count when you were younger? I don't, I, if I can't remember, so no, I'm not going to, 
I've maybe done the only time I really counted is maybe at Utah when we do our, our wall ball, um, like challenge or routine that, that Marcus put together for our guys where it's obviously 10, this, 10, that, 10, that, 10, that, where I have to count to move on to the next piece of it. But other than that, no, I just like, I, I kind of said it on my Instagram the other day. It's like, I just like to be fluid and, and try to make it natural and unnatural and, and try to just be creative at the same time. Like just like a lacrosse game, you, nothing's ever scripted yeah. in a game. So you kind of just let it flow. Did you ever feel like there was a time when you were playing this game where, cause you're, I think your games evolved a lot like Holman in different respects, right? When you were a Tourton finalist, you were, you know, the ball was in your stick. You were dicing people up and, and you were the guy who started the offenses and now you're widely considered as as the best, certainly lefty off ball player in the world. Um, but but like hands and and like feel around the net and in tight places and difficult situations. Has that been? Uh, would you say that that's largely innate, or uh, you know, in other words, were you always pretty good at that, and then you practiced more and got better? Or like, how can you give advice out to people who, you know, have hands like feet like me? <laughs> And your game's progressed too, Paul. Come on now. Um, but to answer the question, I mean, it's definitely something I remember and I always will for the rest of my life. And and I have actually just, and I love about my game is when I got to Boston um, in my first year of professional lacrosse, I mean, I'm moving to a team going from a quarterback of my offense at UMass. And like you said, having the ball in my stick a lot. And um, I went into a team that has Paul Rabel, Kevin Buchanan, you know, and, and, and all these offensive players, Ryan Boyle, you know, one of my idols. And I was like, all right, I'm not dodging much. You know, I'm going to, I got to find my role. And I remember, uh, RB telling me that, um, cause I didn't dress my first, my first game professionally. I got, I, I dressed my second game and remember watching on the sideline. I was like, I can make a difference here playing with you guys and, and let the game come to me and let the veterans kind of, run the show and, and be on the depositing end of it. And, uh, I'll just always remember RB talking about finding your role when you get to the league. And my role was not to be a Dodger and not to be a quarterback of that team. It was to just be a really annoying to cover off ball and, and, and be a really, really good shooter. And I think the first year or two, I was pretty even keeled with that stuff. Um, but over time I just got time to get out and, and work on my craft and, and work on my shooting and now playing with obviously a guy like Tom on the archers. It's like, <laughs> I just got to find that little two foot window where he's going to throw it and, and just deposit it. So my games evolved tremendously and you just got to know your role and, and, and try to work at it and talk to your teammates and become uh, really close with them and let them know what you like to do and what they like to do. Um, and that makes it a lot easier. What, what would you say about your fitness level? Um, and, and has, has the way that you train, um, has that changed since becoming, you're not just a great off-ball player, but you, you move more than most people on the field. So you're constantly moving, which makes you an off-ball player, a better off-ball player, because defenders have a difficult time staying with you. And then at a minimum, because they're so concerned with you, they're going to miss their slide, and your teammates are going to get opportunities. But that, that's fatiguing. Like, there's a reason why a lot of people don't move the way that you do. A lot of it has to do with starting with at least fitness level. So uh, how do you think about that? And is that something that you work on actively or you feel like, hey, you've been a fit person, uh, you have high VO2 max, which is like the, again, like an innate 
ability to, to be well conditioned? Like, what is it? Yeah. I've never uh, asked you that. No, it's a, it's a good question. And I'll just start off and, and I'm not going to say I'm the fittest man in the league, Hartzell. Um, but, <laughs> um, well, your boy RP three is, is easily more, fit, more fit than Kyle yeah. Hartzell. We'll, we'll let, we'll let I think those. Kyle Hartzell is probably outside the top 10, to be honest. <laughs> we'll let, we'll let those two bicker at it at training camp. But no, I would love to be Rob, make sure B Rob has a camera on those two the whole time. All right. Um, but for, for, for me, Paul, it's like, I've always feel like I was, I was in really good shape. And, and I think it all started when I was a, when I was a junior at UMass, um, the winter going into my junior season, I, I worked out five days a week and was there for two or three hours, whether it's wall ball and then training and then stretching and dedicating time to just see how much that can elevate my game. And then that junior year is what escalated my whole lacrosse career. Um, and that was my Tuarton final finalist year. Um, but moving into the pro ranks, it's like, I have the ability to train and feel comfortable, um, w- with what I'm doing and obviously living and, and working with Marcus, a guy that just never stops and, and conditioning wise, he has lungs like an ox. So whenever we do running, he, he pushes me to my limit. Um, but whatever I'm doing, I, I just do it. So I feel comfortable. And when I got back from training camp, I was a little, um, honestly a little worn out from, a lot of playing and getting my ass kicked by, by our defense. I mean, my arms were all beat up and just the heat from IMG in Florida, I was kind of fatigued and I realized, all right, well, I do have to pick up my conditioning a little bit and not, don't have to lift as much. And throughout the whole season, I I wasn't tired one, one time at the end of a game. Um, so yeah, so not, not once. And that's something Marcus and I actually spoke about every Sunday or Monday. It was just like, I felt damn good. I could have played another game and that's not bullshit. I, I just, I felt really good. And, I know I'm not a midi in the league or a defensive midi that takes every shift, but, um, the way that our offense works and the way we move off ball, there's a lot of running and I wear my Apple watch throughout that and how many calories I burn and no um, way. And what's, what are the numbers? I mean, I've, I've, I've hit 1500 to 2k once, like just consistently over, over 1200 calories, just consistently moving. And, um, and then, yeah just you think about it. And then I watch a game. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even have the ball in my stick for 20 seconds in that game. Yeah. And but what about, what about a uh, distance covered? Does your, uh, Apple watch cover that? So I, it, it would, I'm going to do that differently this summer. I'm going to do like mileage. I just do like uh random workout and it just tells you yeah. your cal- calories, but, Got it. um, Oh, you should, you should track mileage. Cause then I want to also ask what you and Holman do He's got lungs like an ox. Like what, what type of workouts are you doing conditioning wise, non-lifting? Like, is it 300s, agilities? What do you got? Yeah. So we're different in a way with that. I, I love mixing in conditioning in the middle of my workout. So I'll do a conditioning segment and then do three rounds of a circuit and then do another conditioning. So it's airdyne bike oh. and then do, do cleans, do this, do that. And then I'll do a rower and then do three rounds of that. And then I'll do maybe a 300 and then do that again. And, but Marcus is more of doing it at the end and just doing straight running, <laughs> which yeah, I, I, I'm not opposed to, or uh, I just, I just feel like the way I like to train is different than him, but he, he's all about just running, uh, it at the end and kind of just blowing it out, which is also something good to, to wake you up and, and give you a little uncomfortable sense, uh, at the end of a workout. Right. So he never, he never, he never lets me sleep on that stuff. Yeah. How do you, you and Marcus are 
like very tight at this stage and another uh, relationship that you've built in your pro career, like you're, to me, you're, you're the consummate pro, um, have, have always been all in on lacrosse, uh, have parlayed it with coaching and um, sponsorships and a number of other things. But, but Holman, he, he didn't play with us in Boston. No. I think he was in, a, oh, he was in Ohio at the time, but how did that relationship broker? Yeah. Um, it, it started when we were in college, you know, we were in the same graduating class and I always respected Marcus for what he's done and, you know, he puts up points. He's the a captain of their team and, um, leader of their team and a good guy just for the sport of lacrosse, you know, he just represented the game the right way and, um, and got all the accolades and everything he deserved. And, and I remember when we graduated and we got drafted, uh, I remember just somehow reaching out to him and saying like, looking forward to learning more about you and, and meeting you in the pros. And long story short, we, I started doing Brescia lacrosse camps with Marcus and, and Brian Holman, um, back in the day and, and coach Brescia thankful for them to allow me to come on. And I got really close with Brian and Marcus and, um, we spent some summers together and, and traveled a little bit together as well and got closer and closer. And then Brian just called me one random day and, said from my experience doing brushy lacrosse camps and, and knowing me for four or five years, if I wanted to come coach with those guys and Adam and it kind of just all came full circle. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And now you guys are like the, the bunk pad, uh, bros or whatever. Uh, the marketing bunk bed team's boys. Calling. Find bunk us on, boys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, find, find, find us on the PLL social. And then on, we just got an Xbox during the quarantine. So find us on Xbox bunk bed boys. What are, what are you playing? I'm ripping Call of Duty right now. Oh, you are? Yeah. That's uh, I'm surprised you're not doing FIFA or 2K or anything like that. You played uh, soccer and basketball, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna get into the yeah, I'm gonna get into that once I feel like once Marcus gets back. I, Marcus is more of a Halo he's guy. He's not coming so back, Will. He's not coming uh, back. This is this is the end for you guys. Yeah, he's he's gone. I, I'm gonna be <laughs> paying double rent. I'm gonna yeah. He's, <laughs> he looks like he's having too much fun with Alex and TikTok. Yeah, yeah that the the TikTok thing. And by the so, way, he hosted a uh, PLL uh, yoga and hit workout. I heard about and that. And there happened to be several Atlas guys. They were getting it in with Holman. So uh, okay. Well, you know, the, the I'm funny, just saying he might not come back. The funny, the funny thing about Marcus, and this is the I, I've been busting his chops about this. He uh, he was doing. I think it was this past Monday. He was doing something with Alex, and I tuned in. I threw it on my iPad and, and airdropped it to my TV and. <laughs> it was Alex's workout, but apparently Marcus drew it up and, okay. um, I'm doing it. And Alex like midway through just allowed Marcus to like talk and, and do like the instructor voice. And yeah. we're in the middle of something and Marcus goes, all right, we're going to go to, let's say it was like split jumps or whatever it was. We're going to go to split jumps in five, four. And I just like started, I lost it. I like started laughing out loud. And I, was like, <laughs> I, I can't listen to him do this anymore. <laughs> Oh man, we got to we got to get Mark on to defend himself. No, nah, he's, he's <laughs> I'm I'm happy for him though. I mean, Alex has been doing such a good job uh, of taking advantage of this and, and dedicating She's doing great her, work. Yeah, dedicating her her life to this and creating um the love of lacrosse and just being yourself and um and it's good for Marcus just just being able to spend time with her. I'm happy for those guys and um maybe one yeah. day he'll come back and I can have a shooting partner. How, how are the uh, 
it's probably better for the rest of the league that he that he stays wherever he is back <laughs> east. How is uh, how are the rest of the archers doing? You guys Good. doing like group hangouts and passing along workouts? What what's some of the ways that you guys are addressing this quarantine? Yeah, it's it's been it's been great. I mean, you alluded to it earlier. Like we we just have. Um, a good group of guys in, in, on our team and, um, guys that have chemistry and guys that just are on the same page at all times. And, um, it, it picked up big time when, when we picked up Eli and Mazon, uh, and Christian, um, to, to the team and those guys intro intro themselves to, to the group. And, um, they're, they're not shy. They shared stuff right away, workouts and, and, and everything else. So, uh, on that sense, it's good. And, um, everyone's just positive and trying to keep, keeping a, a clear mind for what's what's moving forward this summer okay i'm going to take a quick break in this conversation with will to let you all know that this podcast right here that you're listening to right now is being afforded to us and brought to us by our incredible friends at Ticketmaster. they are the official ticketing partner of the premier lacrosse league they also now have naming rights to the Ticketmaster podcast studio as well as the Ticketmaster premiere zone Ticketmaster. They are the best ticketing platform on the planet. Download the app if you haven't already. It's on the home screen of my phone. It's the way that I purchase tickets and figure out where to go, who to listen to, who's playing in town. And so you should do that. And they'll also have PLL all over the app. So you can figure out when we're going to be in your town as well as when we will be playing next. All right, let's get back to Will. Tom Schreiber, you mentioned his, his ability to feed. Uh, Tom Schreiber was a part of what you guys call the factory. <laughs> yeah. Am I right? I guess you, the, Tommy, I never, I never called it that. I think that's what Jolo, Jolo's, Jolo's era that's just of Jolo? St. Anthony's was, was the factory. That's Jolo beating his St. Anthony's chest. Yeah. His, By the way, his, his chest is awfully big right now. He's, I, I wonder if that he can run. That guy looks like a fucking moose. I, I talk to him probably every other day and I just... <laughs> <laughs> every other day what a good guy there's though, something the there's, I, I love playing with Jolo. love him man he's he's the the move it on guy of the century he's he's a good moving on guy he's yeah. a great moving on guy he's also a great initiator yeah. he's a great no, initiator and he's a great fucking shooter yes he can hammer it what are you talking about moving on i think you're talking I about one more no i, I meant the initiator because he likes a, the one more he's a he's a good one more guy he's smart yeah. he's got a good head on his shoulders i remember when he when we traded for both of you guys yeah uh he came over and he was like let's talk like i want to i want to understand this offense i want to learn i was like all right man this is great yeah he's i mean I, I like to think i do that too when i go on new offenses but very few people do and he's just eyes wide open ears open yeah, How can coachable. I get involved? He's coachable and, and in a way like you, I look at him as a younger brother because honestly, I didn't really know Joe very well when I was in, in high school. Just, just St. Anthony's was just that way. And his, he was tight with his class and he's two years younger. So I, he never played varsity with my team. Um, but right after school, I, I, I think we just kind of started clicking when he got to the pro ranks and um, when we played in, in Boston and in New York, we would travel together and hang out and me, me, him, you, RP, we, we had a good crew of guys that, that really got close. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm proud of him. He, he works a great job in, in, uh, the medical field and, and dedicates as much time as he can to being a good lacrosse player, or a great lacrosse player. And, um, and good for him just winning a championship with, with all his boys. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm just happy for him. Do you think that was, uh, that was overly favorable to have a team in our league that has 23 guys who played for the same university, played, played the same system. 
You know, I, it kind of is what it is. It could just be like, Hey, it is what it is, but like, God damn. Yeah. Maybe one or two of those middies somewhere else, you know, <laughs> but, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> give us, give us a Connor Kelly or something. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I just think for, for those guys and they were pretty spread out too. You know, there, there was older guys like, um, Schmidt, Brett Schmidt was on that team. And, um, you know, you think of a guy like Joe Walters who wasn't on that team either. Thank God. But you know, Drew Snyder's a bit older. He's a few classes older. Yep. Snyder's a year older than me. So yeah, they had a couple older guys that didn't get to play with any of them, but obviously they have that same blood and, um, and that Terp life. But yeah, I don't know. I think it is what it is. And I think it kind of sparked a lot of other teams to kind of want to take those guys down, which is, which is pretty cool too. Yeah. And Chanichuk also is a St. Anthony's guy, right? Yep, Chani and and Kincannon. And Kincannon. Yeah, we had a squad. What, what, what do they put in the water? I don't know. I, you think it's, you guys just all play lacrosse like madmen when you're younger? Yeah, good coaching. Good coaching. Good coaching, good coaching at that school. You know, when good I was a freshman, huge at a young age. Yeah, when I was a freshman, you had Coach Chanichuk was there, Mike's dad, Coach Schreiber, Tom's dad. I had I had Tom's dad coach me for four straight years throughout high Your school. Your dad has game, Diplo. Uh-huh. Not my dad. Oh, I thought you said your dad. No, I was like, damn, Diplo, Kevin no. Spacey's got the game. No, D- D- Diplo and <laughs> Kevin Spacey. He's he's uh now turned. Um, he has pickleball and golf are his things. Um, <laughs> I love so your dad. He's I know I know he and he loves that you love him. It's it's like the best thing in the world. He he actually told me to, to give pickleball a shout out on this and and say what's up to you. Um, <laughs> And sh- shout out to my mom for being a nurse and shout out to my sister for graduating this year. Um, so oh, a little, damn. Couple, couple of shout outs there, but your, your uh, mom's at uh, ground zero right now. So she's actually, she's thank God she's in a, in a way, I, I know she would love to, to be helping and being right there now, but she's actually in Florida. She was told she doesn't have to work at the hospital. Um, yeah. she's now a case manager. So she's working from our place in Florida in Estero, yep. um, with my dad. I mean, so just at, as important to manage yes. everything that's, that's trafficking in and out because yeah. that's got to be expedited. hundred percent. So I'm, I'm just happy they're, they're together at least down in Florida. And my sister, um, is back at school in, in Cortland, just, just at her apartment since they're paying rent and just finishing up school up there. And, um, but yeah, shout out to those, to those three for, for everything that they've been doing. How did the, how did they help you, your parents specifically call it during the recruiting process and, and what, and what, um, kind of triggered you to go to UMass? Was it a, was it a matter of options or a, a matter of just like, Hey, this is, this is the right fit for me. Was it playing time? Was it culture? Uh, probably an amalgam of it, but what, what went down for you? Yeah. Well, just starting with my parents, I mean, they, they've just been so supportive from club lacrosse when I was younger, you know, every tournament they, they were there and I don't think my dad or my mom missed a game up until my sophomore year of college throughout even high school. Um, so just being the ones there to be able to transport me to wherever I needed to go and, and, and being the best fans and, and supporters that I can have. And, um, during the rec- recruiting process, it was, it was unique because it's only me and my younger sister and we've never been through that process before. So, uh, and my, neither of my parents played sports, so I didn't have any sort of connections in the lacrosse world. I never got invited to top two Oh five or blue chip camp and, and all that bullshit. You, play, you, know? you, you played for the factory. How did you not get the invites? That's, that's the story they, of my career. They just career. overlooked you. 
that's the story of my career, Paul. All right. Um, and, um, just during the process, I mean, I never got, I never got a letter from a ACC school. I got a couple Ivy leagues, um, and higher, like the, the biggest conference looking back at it that I've talked, talked about before is the CAA, which I ended up playing in with, with UMass. Like I, I got letters from Delaware, Towson, Drexel, uh, Hofstra. Um, so I, those were the schools that tier of lacrosse at the time was what I was being recruited by. And my, my thing was in that I wasn't going to be recruited by those ACC schools was I just wanted to play for four years. I wanted to start and, and make a difference for four years. And if I got recruited by one of those schools, I probably wouldn't have at the time. And, um, when I got recruited by UMass coach Canella, his, his call, his handwritten letter and, and his emails just hit my game nail on the head. And, um, we just hit it off on the phone. And when I got up there and saw the way that they practiced, um, and the way they treated me and, and what coach Canella saw in me and why he liked me was, was exactly what I was looking for. And I forgot how much time after that, if I took any visits, I don't really remember, but shortly after that, I was, I was convinced I wanted to go there and ended up committing there in uh, probably April of my junior year of high school. Do you think, do you think, um, being a junior in high school and going under recruited for someone who, you know, four years later was a Touraton finalist, like where's the disconnect or was it, or, or, or was it a combination of there being a oversight on you matched with that skill jump that you alluded to earlier when it just seemed like it connected for you in the weight room and on the field and you were like, I'm going to fucking go for it here. Like I feel momentum, but how do you, how do you like reconcile that in hindsight? Does it just, is it fuel you or, I mean, you take it, you tell me. Yeah, it, it's, and it's, it's so unique for me now to being a coach and, and recruiting kids because yeah. there's, there's so many places for kids to play nowadays, you know, and not everyone's going to get looked at by Hopkins and Syracuse and Maryland. Like that's just, well, because that's the, UMass was actually really good too. When, before yeah. you committed, cause that was Sean Morris and co take him to the final four. hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, six run was, was one of the best runs. And I think in college across history in a way, you know, even though they didn't win just the, the games that they played to get there versus, versus, uh, I think it was Hofstra and Cornell. They had some ridiculous games to get there. And, um, yeah. for me, it was more of, like I said, it, I'm not going to get better or become the person I want to be as a leader and, and a program changer if I don't play. So after not getting recruited by those schools, I wanted to find a place. So I looked at UMass and, and their depth chart, they were graduating Tim Belise and Jimmy Connolly two starting attackmen when I was going to be a freshman. So they had, one starting attackman returning when I was going to be a freshman. Hmm. And I took that into a large account of my, my decision. And, hmm. um, from there, man, you know, you know how it is. It's just work, you know, and, and, and dedicating my life to it and, um, being a role guy to start, you know, when you first get there in fall ball and, and, and figuring out what you need to do to, to make this team better and make yourself better. And, um, I just, indirectly, I just feel like I put my work hat on when I got to college and I don't know. I know it's from my parenting and, and just talking to those, those two and my sister a lot, but, um, coach Canella is just a workhorse and, and a tough guy, you know, and he pushes you to your limits and, and gets the most out of you. And, um, and it also helps with my teammates. And, you know, when I was a, that 2012 UMass team, when we were 15 and 0 and number one team in the country, and we got upset by Colgate, 
Damn. That was, I I still, to this day, haven't watched that game. And the leadership we had on that team with the seniors and Anthony Biscardi, Greg rushing Teresco, all those guys and Anderson. And, um, it was, it was a team that like was just handed on a platter and, and it kind of just was lost in one game and our season in a way kind of got defined by everybody else by one game, losing the Colgate at home in the first round when we were number one team in the country, getting a six seed in the tournament. Um, Mm. so all in all, man, for me, it was just about work and, and, and finding out what I needed to do to help my team in any sort of fashion, whether that's leading by example or putting the ball in the net or, or feeding and making my team better. And it also helped just by having some, tough motherfuckers on my team from all over the country that coach Canella recruited and, and made me the person that I am. What was the, uh, what was that loss like afterward it was just like completely shocking and yeah. <laughs> deflating. And I can't even remember to be completely honest, you know, yeah. luckily for, for, for me personally, I was only a junior. I mean, the seniors, it must've to this day, I honestly haven't even, thinking back at it now, I'm really tight with that class. I've been to two of their weddings and going to another coming up this upcoming fall, hopefully. Um, yeah. but that's something that I actually might reach. I might reach out to some of those guys and, and ask them about, cause I haven't really talked to them about it. Um, yeah. and I'm curious to see what they, what they remember. Cause I honestly don't remember anything. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been in those situations. The, the, the one that jumps to me at the top is uh is the 2014 championship game uh u.s canada and we were you know we were told or being told and if you look at side by side statistics the best team ever assembled in in world lacrosse history and you know we were just i mean we knocked we were we were beating arguably the best iroquois team in uh world games history we were up 10 nothing in the first quarter like it was this, this team was unbelievable and it was a it was a, it was a similar experience for me. I couldn't even like recall some of what had taken place in that game. Um, you uh, you referenced tough motherfuckers. Who are some of the toughest motherfuckers you've played with? <laughs> Anthony Biscardi. And how do you think about that? Yeah, Anthony Biscardi, Wanta native, um, UMass guy, uh, one of my mentors for my career. You know, he he I stayed with him on my visit. And just, I knew who he was growing up and, um, just that guy that flips the switch when he could be, he'll be your best friend off the field, you know, and he's one of the nicest guys, coolest guys to go out with and, and hang out with. But once it gets on the field, like you better just have your head on a swivel cause he'll, he'll take you out during line drills, you know, if you're not doing the right thing. Um, and that's the way I, I think a guy like him just kind of set the, set the tone for how I coach and how I play, which is doing the right thing on the field at all times. Cause you don't know when it's going to get taken from you. Um, so he's number one always in my book. Um, yeah. I mean, gets, gets is up there, you know, Adam, um, just the way that he plays and the style that he plays coming out of the goal and, and how he just gets on you. If you, if you wussy out on, on, on something. And I know he's affected my play and the, my decision-making on some plays being tougher, getting in the middle of the field and taking a hit and whatever. Um, hmm. So a guy I've like never Adam, played with him. I, that that would be my sense. But yeah, from from what I know of him. But yeah, you would again. I don't think there's one person that could say that they didn't like playing with a guy like Adam. Um, yeah, 
And obviously you throw Marcus in there. He's just overall, right? But there's honestly Biscuit and, and Greg Rushing, my other, he was a senior captain at UMass. Those two guys, I know a lot of people don't know who they are, um, but Greg's from Colorado Springs um, and went to UMass. He, <laughs> it was, it's funny. He'll laugh at this if he hears this, but I mean, his, he might've had some of the worst stick skills you'll, you'll ever see. Um, but he, he faced off for us and he played D midi. Like he just, he just didn't come off the field. He won every, um, every run test. He won every sprint. He, he was just a, a freak of an athlete. And, um, he had a hit, I'll, I'll text it to you after, after we hang up here, he had a hit versus Albany, um, in 2000, it might've been 2012 that I'm surprised the kid got up. Um, and just, really? yeah, just the definition, those two guys of UMass lacrosse. And, um, whenever I think of toughness, I just always talk to my team or my friends about those two guys. And I know a lot of people don't know about them, which is the best part. Yeah. Well, so far you've mentioned, you just mentioned at least, um, the third of the, of the four wheels in, uh, the give and go foundation, but you got yourself, Holman, Getz, and then Scott Ratliff. And uh, Ratty's been, you know, a consummate pro and, and a fantastic human being, a grinder on the field. He's tough as hell. Yep. Um, and then obviously an archer's player now. But um, what, what compelled you guys to build your foundation and continue like the full circle and uh, of, of not only you know, kind of growing the game, but giving back and then keeping the stick in your hand while doing it. Yeah. It's, and again, I, I, to start with this, like, I know I'm a part of it, but Adam and Scott are, um, are the two main guys with this, you know, they, they took the initiative of, of, of dedicating as much time as they have hours and hours of, of creating the give and go foundation. And, and it just kind of got sparked from, um, just, quote unquote, right. Growing the game and, and giving the game back to people that are underprivileged and, and not close to us and allowing us to travel and see the different cultures, um, and using our sponsors and, um, our ability with our schedules as, as full-time lacrosse people to be able to travel and, and grow the game, uh, elsewhere, you know, and I'm thankful to be great friends with those guys. And I missed the first uh, first year of their overseas travel, which I was bummed about. And I hopped right on board the next two years. And, um, that kind of sparked the, the Swedens, the, um, Switzerland's and, um, everywhere else we've done clinics in Spain and Portugal. Um, it's, it's something that thinking about it right now, it's, it just seems like it was such an easy task because of how well connected the lacrosse community is. You know, you don't ever, ever think you, you would think if, Oh, I'm going to go to Spain and coach lacrosse, like how much of a hassle or, or how hard that would be to, to just get that set up and how badly people wanted the give and go foundation and guys like Scott and Adam, Marcus and I to go out there. They set up fields, they set up times. They just told us to show up, you know, and, um, we have lifelong friends and families from, from there. Now I remember FaceTiming you. Do you remember I FaceTimed you when we were in, uh, yeah, I remember that where, where I was in, I think I was in Zurich at the, I was in Zurich, Switzerland. And 
they were like, oh, so like, how's it playing with Paul Rabel? Like, how's Paul Rabel? Is like, are you friends with Paul Rabel? And I'm like, yeah, of like course. He's like, a he's dick, a- right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's my teammate. Yeah. And they were like, can we call him? And I was like, oh, let's FaceTime him right now. And I remember we had a 15, 20 minute FaceTime. With you. I still have yeah. it on my phone. Actually, I have it on my phone actually like saved. Um, and, and you know, that shit like that makes people's lives. Those, those guys remember yeah. that forever. And, um, I mean, they, we donated, I, I, Scott actually sent me a text last night, um, with how much money has been donated to those overseas programs. So again, just so thankful to be a part of it and the friendships and the relationships, like we talked about earlier that I've, I've created have allowed me to do all this stuff. And, um, I'm looking forward to the future. Well, it even comes full circle to uh, good coaching and, and how important that is uh, at high school in the U.S. And, and even earlier, but certainly internationally, is uh, for us to continue to grow this game globally or see the game grow and not to sound like you know we're the czars of the sport um, from a participation or playing standpoint in North America. But you know, we're on a, f- a fast track to the Olympics in 2028. There are 63 governed uh, bodies that that uh, have declared and play internationally according to world lacrosse that are eligible for an Olympic bid and are eligible to play in the world championships every four years uh, so that that's certainly contributing to the skill acquisition there and then Absolutely. you have the blue countries um, which are considered you know kind of the, the first class or first wave of upper tier of, of uh, talent that has kind of been around for a while um, in the top eight countries in the world. Um, Team USA is something that you have uh, been a part of for a long time, but haven't been on the final uh, roster yet. Is that something, how much do you think about that? Every day, you know, it's, it's, I feel like that's the, the cherry on top for, for my career after, right. I have winning a championship and, and making Team USA and, Um, it's, it's come to a point where I just feel like I just got to let my game do the talking, you know, there's not much else I could do. And and for me personally, like, do I think I should have been on that, that last team? A hundred percent. Like, I honestly don't, like, I couldn't have played better lacrosse moving, moving into that. And, um, and again, I know right. The, the talk after all that and people that texted me in the social media, like, Oh, they didn't take another lefty. And it's like, when it happened, it happened, you know? And, and then you had the other leagues, all-star game where I scored three or four goals and, and have the game winner versus team USA and all that stuff too. And it's like, yeah, that's great. And that's just me playing and, and being in, in the moment, you know, and, and being me. But I mean, to answer the question, Paul, there, there'd be, I'd be the happiest person to, to see my name on that final list. And, um, I mean, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And if, if it doesn't end up working out again, it's, it is what it is, but I know I'm going to play my best across the next two years. Um, and my, my goal is to give the coaches no chance not to take me. Yeah. How many, uh, USA teams have you tried out for? Just two. Yeah. Two. Uh, actually, no, just just one. So I actually, I didn't try out for 14. Um, Why not? I, I don't, I don't remember. I, I just don't, I feel like I just wasn't in the right spot at the time, honestly, or I didn't get yeah. invited. I don't know if it was invite. I don't remember. Um, it, it's, it's so interesting. The, the waves of, of skill that come through because four years is so long. 
Yeah, very long. Right? Like it's it's really long. That's a that's four classes in college. And we think about almost college as as if it's an eternity of our playing career yeah. from a from a portion standpoint. Um that's what's interesting about professional sports and why uh I'm I'm so uh pleased with what we're doing with the PLL and also really excited about the future of it is is that um you know having the opportunity to play at the highest level for as long as you can and stretch beyond that kind of four-year definitive uh, moment that you get in college, um, you know, you can play for 18 years if you want after college. It's really hard to do, but, um, you know, going back to the tricky part about selecting your team if you're the coaches of a country is – you're having to do so, you know, 18 to 12 months in advance of the tournament. And there's just so much shit that happens inside of 12 months. And, um, and it's just tricky. But I remember you had a fantastic tryout. And I also remember, um, you know, Cav having a really good tryout. Yeah. And, and you have two, like, fantastic crafty lefties that, uh, that are vying for the same position and neither of them get it. And it's... It's just hard. I, I got to imagine it was it was really hard. But you got you had vengeance in that All Star game, as you had mentioned. And I remember being fucking pissed at you. I remember, like, God <laughs> damn it, Will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so this season, I know uh, there's a lot of uncertainty with the coronavirus going around, um, and and us trying to figure out where uh, where our schedule will net out amongst yep. uh, every other pro league, but. We were talking previously to recording this that um, you guys are still kind of thinking about it day by day and being ready to go as if it's tomorrow or a month from now or two months from now. And uh, and and personally though, what are, what are you? What kind of goals are you setting for yourself? Have you set them, or are you more fluid like the way you practice? Yeah, uh, it's it's very fluid for me, honestly. You know. Uh, I have them in the back of my mind. I, I don't write them down yet. You know, I, I just feel like. Um, going into training camp, obviously I, I want to just continue to be a lead by example guy and a guy that does his job, you know, and, and, um, for us, it's getting deeper in the playoffs and, and pushing for a championship, just like every other team. Um, but you know, in this, in this league, I've said it earlier in the summer, it's like, I go in every week knowing it's going to be a one goal game. You know, that's, that's my mentality. And that's what, if you don't, you're out of your mind if you're a PLL player, um, because just by the level of talent and how fast the game is and two pointers and how good the faceoff guys are and how good goalies are, you just, you don't know what's going to happen. And, um, I think my mentality as a seven going into eight year veteran now as a player, it's, I have that one goal mentality in my head as a just tighten up and, and make the right play mentality. But I also have like, just enjoy it and have a smile on my face and, and you don't have to get so amped up before a game, um, as well. <laughs> and that's what I did the last three games of the year. I just kind of had a smile on my face and, and dapped up people in the locker room and, and went out and had headphones on and, and street clothes going out to shoot before the game. And said I had my Jersey on and my shorts, nice and tight. Like I just was just loose. And yeah. I think my, my game elevated a whole nother level just by doing that. So that's something I'm going to carry into this upcoming summer. 
What about uh, before the season starts? You guys have the number one pick. Who do you think you're going to take? Number one, baby. Grant Amen. You think so? Is that done? Unless you guys trade. It's not. What is it? May, May 12th or something is the cause. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's, I, I've wanted him for over a year, you know, and, and, um, over the past week or so when he announced, I, I was allowed to, through compliance, I made sure I was able to talk to him. Um, and, and as yeah, a, that's right. I, you know, compliance better than me as a, as a college yeah, coach, as a, as a, <laughs> Um, I should be asking you as a, as a professional <laughs> lacrosse player and, and college coach, I've made sure I was good to reach out to him as a professional. Obviously he announced he wasn't going back. So I wasn't going to be talking about college. I was like, let's go, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. um, I feel like I just have that. Obviously he's been playing with a guy like Mac O'Keefe for a while. And, and I feel like as a lefty, just knowing the way that he throws the ball, it's, it's something that we're missing in our offense a little bit. And, um, and as of right now, he's the only one that I've seen that's coming out. So we got the number one pick and, and we're in a good spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. He knows how to serve up lefties, lefty attackmen for yes, sure. He does. What makes Mac O'Keefe so good? Just, just his stroke. It, I mean, his stroke. Is yeah. he good off? Is he good off ball too? Or is it yeah, just like he, real good stroke? I, just by watching again, I haven't, I haven't ever talked to him before. I know he's a long Island kid and, and but I, I'm definitely going to reach out to him whenever he's graduated and just talk to him and say, I love, I love his game, you know? And when you have a guy like Grant who kind of can compliment him, um, he's just what he's good at. And this is a very underrated off ball thing. You know, a little off ball one-on-one here is just playing behind your defender's head. Um, and that's something younger players don't really know. If, if, if you take a half a step or a jab step and get your defender to turn one way and you're behind him, he has to make a decision. And you could always see Mac either circling up to the ball, catching and shooting or drifting behind his defender, catching it off his back foot and then squaring up to the goal. And that's something I do all the time. You know, I'm on the backside and Tommy's going down the lefty alley. It's like, I need to make a decision. I either circle up or I cut the back pipe because my defender has to make a decision. They're probably watching Tom dodge because they're all worried about him and you got to just make a decision. So that's something I always see in Penn state highlights is him catching and shooting because he's really good at setting him own self, his own self up as a, as a catch and shooter, because you, I've, I know from playing with you and seeing you practice even alone is, is you practice the shots you take in games Yeah. Uh, because the game moves so fast. It moves the fastest at our level when you're catching that ball off of a skip cross field and defenders rushing up at you, do, do you look actually look at the goalie or is it more of like a glimpse of where he is and you're, and you're trusting your instinct at the very last second to snap your wrist to go high, low, you know, north, south, east, west on corners? Yeah. And this is, it's actually funny. I, I'm such a big PLL podcast fan. I heard you talking to Troutner about this. And, yeah. um, it's more of, I know the scout on a goalie, whether he's weak or high or low in general, just putting it above his chest or below his knees. Um, but it's more of just a quick release in general, to be honest with you. you know, I, I, I'm not going to say a goalie's name and use it as an example, but it's whenever I catch that pass, I know who I'm playing against and I'm either putting it low and it's most most likely on a quick release, like just getting it on goal. I'm not going to say I put it somewhere specific every single time I do aim it in the moment, 
Um, yeah. but I don't have a specific spot every single time. It's more of just knowing the goalie's tendency. Is he, is he jumping around when he goes pipe to pipe? Cause the goalie does have to move. Um, and does he drop his hands when he goes pipe to pipe? Cause those are the guys I go near side high on when I catch it from a skip pass. When, when, when you're shooting is the last question I have for you on, on this. Cause I'm trying to just glean as much as I can. <laughs> when you catch that skip and then you're locked and loaded, you take a quick look or you know the scout on the goalie and then all of a sudden a defender like at a corner of your eye seems like he could be in the lane of your shot do you resist doing that extra hitch that I get caught from time to time because I, I very rarely get time and room because I'm usually the one distributing but when I do I notice sometimes like I'm just about to release it and then I'm like ah something like happens and I'll end up hitching and trying to find a better shot. So do you does that happen to you and if it does do you resist it and you just fucking shoot through it? Yeah, it's it's usually for me knowing where I am on the field. You know, if I, if I'm 3 3 to 4 yards inside the arc, um I'm just letting it go. No matter um, yeah, cuz it's just a good shot, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I remember Kevin Buchanan talking to me about this with two man games just like yeah. setting up, setting up a two man game at the arc, just because, you know, if they double team it and you slip it, you're in a shooting spot, you know, you're in range. So I always just try to just know where I am on the field. I don't set myself up there just to be selfish. It's more of just like that. <laughs> I'm outsmarting my defenseman and he's ball watching and I'm going to just play my game behind him. And yeah, there's a couple of times yeah, where if you I can get I, inside of 12 yards. It's like, get it yeah. on net you know, the goalies either got to get hit by it or guess because yes. you're just so close. hundred percent. And there's been a couple of times this year where I got caught like indecisive and I, I hit two or three guys. Um, and I, I remember I face dodged somebody versus the Redwoods and then I missed and I'm like rewatching the film. I'm like, shit, like I should have just shot that. Like I'm at seven yards. Like I'm in my range. Shoot it. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's something as a coach now too, I, I just try to preach is if you're inside seven, eight yards, like just take your shots. Like the more shots you produce, the more opportunity you get to score and, and get a goal for us, you know? So, um, I'm definitely just try to find out where I am on the field and be decisive in that sense. That's good advice. That's good advice. This is great. This is great. I, I, I always, I still, I still hesitate calling you one because when I played with you, you were one. It just feels still so weird for me calling you four. I know. I actually, I talked Why to Why did the, you tell you? Yeah. Tell me about it. Tell me so about I, one and four. I talked to, uh, who was I talking to about this? I think I was talking with Lisa and Emma about this. Um, All right. and I had to switch. So I was one through junior of high school, all the way through college into the pro yeah. the pros. I had zero for one year because PT Richie. <laughs> What a mess <laughs> so, that was. So PT received, <laughs> then, then, <laughs> then he left. So I took one my second year in the pros, had it all the way time. And then I got traded to New York and J-Dubs had it, J-W-1. So wait, your rookie year, I remember that. You were zero. I remember coming down the alley, feeding you hey, always banana you, up and bury you scored, it. And, you assisted my first professional goal. Do you remember where it was? Damn right. Damn right. Do you yeah, remember, about five yards in the hash, five yards up on the hash, floating you, up. Do you remember where it was though? It, was it in Boston? No. Oh, fuck. Denver. I don't know. My One of my favorite, I've watched this club a bunch, but coming down against Chesapeake and you banana yeah. up, and I, we just, it just happened all the time. Yeah. And was. I would just flick it to space and you, you remember, get in you, there. Do you remember who was covering me on that one? In the Chesapeake one? Yeah. 
Oh, fuck. Uh, no, I don't Brian, know. Maybe Brian, Evans? Brian Spolina. Brian Spolina. All right, tell me, about the, tell me about your first goal as a pro. It was in Denver, and you were, uh, you were sweeping. And I just, I was starting on the lefty wing, I'm pretty sure. And I kind of just like, I jab stepped, like I was clearing through and then I just popped and then my guy was lost. You threw it to me and I just kind of catch and got it out quick and did a little, little grass, ice, 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 little swipe and, and (laughs) gave you a big hug. And I was like, let's go. And I remember my dad flew out for that game to Denver, uh, which was pretty cool for him to be there for my first game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing with, with me, right. It's like, I just try to play off of what you like to do, right? When I know you do that right to right sweep, I'm going to be chilling on that on that wing. You know, I'm, I know. I'm not. That, it was I'm great playing with there. you. It was great playing with Bucky on that too. Bucky yeah. was like, he'd be like, "Polly, <laughs> I, I know how you dodge." And like, what am I a fucking idiot? I'm not going to try to get into a shooting spot. Just freaking, like, just freaking throw it. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't say he doesn't he cut. Say fuck. He would he say he doesn't frick. cut. <laughs> All he, right, so we traded away PT Ricci for a bag of balls, and then yeah. you got number one. I took one after that and then you departed a year or two after that. And then yeah. I wore it for three more years there. And then I got traded to New York and, and, um, Joey swag Joe had one. Had it. and I was like, I'm a big single, I like single digits. And I was like, RP three is, is three. And I was like, four is a sick number. There's a bunch of good lacrosse players that wear four. So I'm going to, I'm going to rock that. And, it's, and that's what I, you I'm, got now. And so, so Holman's one, we don't know what a- what Amit's going to do. Assuming that you're telling the truth, and you guys are going to take him one unless someone <laughs> trades up or convinces Bates that's to not, uh, let go that's, of that pick. That's not happening. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe 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 if the Beans give us all five of their guys they picked up yesterday. <laughs> all right, brother. This was great. Yeah, I know. I appreciate this, man. It's great catching. Love up catching and- up with you, even uh, even uh, on or off the recording. So glad yeah. we could capture it for others, but. Stay yeah, well. Man. Yeah, you too, my Healthy. man. And and just thank you to you and Mike and everybody at the PLL, man. You know, this is giving a lot of people uh, a, a new energy charge and, and new hope for the game of lacrosse and um, to be a part of this and, and be there step-by-step step and in a player's league where the player's voice and opinions really do matter and, and how positive you guys have been through this whole entire coronavirus situation um we, we just thank you as as a league and and me personally just thankful for our relationship and our friendship and um looking forward to the future my man i really appreciate it appreciate it love you one love you buddy i'm gonna still call you one that was a really great conversation it was almost like just catching up with will for about an hour as if we weren't even recording him and I go way back. So thanks for listening to this episode of Unbuckle Chinstrap. Make sure you follow Will on Instagram. His handle is at WillManny1. Manny is M-A-N-N-Y. No E there. Just need to clear that up in case those out there were wondering. We're going to continue to bring you new episodes every week. So make sure you leave in our review section on the rating side of this podcast who you want me to interview next. And for all of you at home that are listening, make sure you stay very healthy and safe. Hug your loved ones. If you're by yourself, spend some time working on yourself like I've been doing and make sure you communicate with your friends virtually or by phone or by text. And then lastly, make sure you subscribe to the show. Give us five stars and leave a review. Talk with you all very, very soon. Mm.